If what I'm hearing from some people and from my brother priests turns out to be accurate, and I have reason to believe it will, this could be the most profound advent that the church has experienced in a long, long time. Over 250,000 of us have perished in this pandemic. We can conservatively estimate that we will probably lose another 100,000 people, maybe more. Millions of us have become ill with symptoms that range from being very mild to requiring hospitalization. We suspect millions more will come down with this. People are restructuring their priorities. They are rediscovering their need for family and friends. We're not the rugged individualists we like to claim we are. People are realizing how fragile, how delicate life is, that it could be snuffed out by a virus. And people are realizing a need for prayer and reflection. Some have told me they're seeking a relationship with God. And these were people that have never been religious. We are entering Advent, a time of hope-filled preparation to celebrate the first coming of Christ in the mystery of the Incarnation, what we call Christmas, and the second coming of Christ, who will return in all of his glory to judge every human being, living and dead. His first coming was shrouded in mystery and went unrecognized by nearly all. His second coming, however, will be brutally sudden, unexpected, and resplendent, seen by all, to the joy of some and to the horror of others. This pandemic is offering us the time to reflect on both comings of Christ and the eternal destiny we ultimately choose for. Today's gospel addresses the second coming of Christ, the day of judgment. And we are warned to watch for that day. This idea of judgment makes many Christians uncomfortable. And in our discomfort, we create myths about Jesus and his expectations of us, all cleverly designed to let ourselves off the hook and give us a false sense of security. Now, what kind of myths? Well, consider the following statements you and I have heard, or perhaps we've even used at some point in our lives. All you have to do is be a good person, and you're going to heaven. All you have to do is believe in Jesus, and you're in like flint. And my personal favorite, as long as I keep Jesus in my heart, I'm going to be okay. They're wonderful, comforting myths. 
that distract us from the reality of who Jesus is, the potential he sees within us. So let's take a look at these myths. All I have to do is be a good person. Well, here's the first problem, and I've said this many times since being your pastor. I am not essentially good, neither am I essentially evil. I am not an angel, and I am not a demon, although I think the last three bishops would argue that point. I'm essentially a terribly screwed up, fallen creature in constant need of God's grace. The second problem, assuming for a moment it is possible to be good enough to earn my way into heaven, then tell me, what possible need was there for the mysteries of Christmas, the cross of Good Friday, the empty tomb of Easter Sunday? Oh, they were nice of God, but quite unnecessary if I can save myself by simply being good. The third problem, <laughs> Jesus never said such a thing. It is our wishful thinking being imposed on the gospel. All I have to do is believe in Jesus well, once again, Jesus never said that. Consider, for example, that the devil and the demons believe in Jesus. They know who he is far better than you and I do. And it's not doing them very much good now, is it? For Jesus, from the context of his Jewish identity, believing without action is meaningless. Put another way, faith without works is dead. I just have to keep Jesus in my heart. Now, if you give this a little bit of thought, you begin to discover that underneath that warm, fuzzy, saccharine language, there could be a, a little spirit of arrogance masquerading as piety. The fallen human heart isn't very reliable. Look how fast we dump a spouse or abandon our children to go pursue our selfish desires. Look how casually we form and we end friendships and use people to get what we want. The human heart is woefully inadequate to contain another human being, let alone the Lord. It is he who contains us in the infinite depth of his divine being, and from that reality we can respond to his love. But the redeemed can no more contain the redeemer than the pot can contain the potter. What we want to ignore, and it is perilous to do so, is that from the Hebrew mindset, the mindset of the Son of God who became one of us, salvation and judgment constitute the whole of divine action toward man. 
Our reading from Isaiah, for example, leaves out some disturbing verses, one through three, where the prophet is inspired to speak of God emerging victorious from battle with the forces that opposed him, his garments drenched with the blood of his conquered enemies. Not very comforting language now, is that? The salvation of those who trust in God and the retribution inflicted on those who oppose God are two sharp edges of the one and same sword of judgment. There cannot be one without the other. Jesus tells us in today's gospel, take heed, watch, for you do not know when the time will come. He then gives the parable of a man going on a journey, leaving to his servants the command that they are each to go about their work until he returns. It is interesting that this parable appears only in Mark's gospel, suggesting that this was something the apostle Peter heard directly from Jesus. Now remember, Mark's gospel is actually a memoir of Peter's experiences of Jesus that Mark recorded. Why would Peter give that story to Mark? Well, perhaps for three reasons. First, the apostles had to continue the saving works that Jesus entrusted to them until he returns, preaching the gospel, teaching the faith, giving hope, celebrating the Eucharist, offering brotherly support. Second, those tasks must continue throughout time and history by the successors of the apostles, the popes, the bishops, the priests, and the deacons. And third, the works of faith must also continue in the priesthood of all who are baptized in Christ. No one in the church is exempt from doing the work he or she was created to do and has been entrusted with. No one is exempt. It is the quality of the work we do under grace or the lack thereof by which we shall be judged when the Lord returns. And may that be this morning. One of the gifts that can come from this pandemic is to use it as an opportunity to step away from all the noise and the nonsense of the world and embrace the quiet of Advent. Carve out time to reflect on who we really are. Rediscover and recommit ourselves to what we have been created for in our moment of time and history. And consider the eternal destiny we are all called to, but must choose for by living out our baptismal promises. That is what Jesus means when he tells us, Watch. Watch.